Hey everyone, this is Aaron Brown, the John Stockton of Podcasts. We're taking a summer break now, but we'll be back this fall with lots of new shows, ideas, and guests. In the meantime, check out this previous episode with a few surprises tucked inside. Okay, here it is. Welcome to another edition of The List, a right fiction podcast. We've got a great show for you all today about our favorite classical composers. Before we get started, if you love the pod, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe on your listening app. It helps us reach new listeners like you. Also, be sure to check out our companion Spotify playlist with all our picks that we mentioned in the pod. The link is in the show details. Now on to the show. I consider myself a classical music fan and listen to it often. When I'm writing, relaxing, thinking, however, in preparing for this episode, I realized that I never just go to classical music as my go-to for when I'm driving to the store or cooking or when I'm getting hyped for the gym. Never. Classicals sort of, you know, exist for me in this area of background music so I can pay attention to pretty much anything else. However, in preparing for this episode, I've realized that classical music has so much more to offer. It can get you hyped. Like when I listen to Philip Glass's Glassworks 4 rubric, it can give you those memorable melodies, as in Gustav Holst's Jupiter. It can even give you your pop music fix, as in Toga Kashif's The Queen Symphony, which is based on the music of the band Queen. Yes, I definitely understand that classical music can be hard to get into sometimes because you don't know where to look or you just can't seem to find the right piece for the mood you're in. I certainly get it. But if you are able to take the time to explore classical music, it has so much more to offer than you think. And hopefully, on today's pod, we'll help shine a light on a few composers to start your classical music journey. So hang out with us for a bit as we give you our favorite classical composers. And with that, on to the show. Of course, we have Brendan. We have me, Aaron. John Stockton of Podcast, Freddie, and then we have Adam. And we're going to kick off the uh, show with Brendan here. What's your first pick, man? Hey, guys. So my first pick, or my number three, I'm going way back. I'm vying for perhaps the oldest on the list today. I don't know if, I don't know if it is, but I'm vying for it because I'm going back to the 16th century. We're going with Giovanni Perluigi de Palestrina. Or as we'll just go with Palestrina for right now. And so <laughs> he was an Italian composer and I got in his music when I was in school because he was known for writing almost exclusively for choral textures. And so listening to some of his recordings, to me, it's like some of the best example of, um, of counterpoint, which is the term for like voices moving independently of one another. And to me, the music just sounds like some of the most beautiful stuff I've ever heard. And he was known for writing magicals and he's written many a full length, like mass setting, like a whole choir setting for a, a giant long mass. And it's great. I mean, like, I don't know what happens to us after we depart this world, but I hope that Palestrina's music is playing. I'm just going to say that. That's great. So I'm going to go next today. And uh, my number three pick is, and actually I, I, um, I didn't tell the guys, but I, I, I switched out my, my number three and and uh have a new number three right before the pod scandalous it's very scandalous uh my number three pick is i think i'm saying his name is joaquin rodrigo and he is a spanish composer um he died in uh 1999 actually um, and uh, he's a virtual pianist, um, and he's really known for what he's known for is the Concerto de Aranuas, um, which was uh, which I know from uh, Miles Davis's sketches of Spain. Um, he has a lot of different other pieces as well, um, but this is um, you know his music is just so amazing, um, especially if you listen to it in that context and other jazz contexts. So that's my 
number three pick today, guys. And I guess that hands the ball off to me. Yes. Um, uh, the first person I'm going to talk about is uh, my first pick would be Claude Debussy. Was considered a, a the first impressionist composer, although he vigorously rejected that term. Um, and the sample that I played uh, placed on our playlist today is actually piano rolls of him playing his own music. And considering what it is, the the source, it sounds pretty darn good. Uh, so yes, my first pick, Debussy, uh, kind of, I guess you would consider it the first, uh, quote unquote, new age music. Some people might call it It's very relaxing to me. And I like to listen to it while I'm driving in crazy traffic. So that's my first pick. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Adam, what Adam, do you got? Over. All right. Uh, just a real quick, uh, I think we need to put an asterisk on this podcast that there will be the most mispronunciations of names <laughs> quite possibly ever. <laughs> and uh, we, we, uh, we ask for your forgiveness on that front. And, and, and the other one, before I start this, just so know where my picks are coming from, is I probably like a lot of people, uh, um, my classical collection is mainly based off of uh, records my late grandfather had. And then you just kind of latch onto them so I'll, i'm pretty much my aside from schooling my classical experience comes from records that that were just around you know and and uh, and that's why the, my my number three here is of that vein and it's uh uh number three is the uh Ferday growth Uh, known for the uh, Grand Canyon Symphony, which uh, I one of those just I had, you know saying I had in the collection and I put it on, and he you know you know he's a is in and compared to a lot of these a more of a contemporary you know from the early 1900s, and uh, <laughs> funny that contemporary, uh, but uh, where this <laughs> <Yeah>. always <laughs> you know where, <laughs> but uh. This, this, um, and a lot of themes through my, uh, you know, quote unquote classical favorites are all in these wide open kind of, uh, you know, pastoral things in this Grand Canyon suite kind of, it, it just takes me, it feels, it feels wide open to me. It takes me to a wide open place. It kind of relieves me of my, of my stress. And, and, uh, and that's where, uh, where, uh, growth, you know, I, 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 I listen to this. This is like my Sunday morning record, you know? just kind of nice. unwind from the week but yeah but growth is my uh my number three nice hey brendan what do you got moving right along my number two would be a living composer by the name of philip glass so he's a pretty big name these days. He's known a lot for his work in film, if you're not into like the sort of concert music world. But for me, uh, his music came into my life at a really critical time. I was in high school and I was like really into rock and roll. I was really into jazz. And my band director was like just giving me CDs of his to, to listen to. And he was like, try Philip Glass. And he gave me the Hero Symphony on CD and I put it on and it just blew my mind. Like it's something is so interesting to me about the repetitive figures and it's sort of like the slow burn of things moving tiny increments over a long period of time which really bothers the hell out of a lot of people and they can't they can't do the minimalist thing but for me i find it really really meditative and uh this maybe you guys think this is like super nerdy but i actually will put on glassworks when i'm like exercising because i like the pulse of it it like keeps me moving and um it's just like i can kind of forget that I'm exercising because I hate to exercise and it kind of gets me through. It Makes is super sense. nerdy. Yeah, it's very super nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> but I get it. <laughs> oh, yeah, and no, I can see where you're coming from. Yeah. And he uses our Farfisa, so bonus points. Uh, Whoa. <laughs> that's a foot in the door. Um, so here, 
here's my number two pick, um, and I'm gonna say his name perfectly. Uh, no, I'm not uh, Giacomo Puccini. <laughs> Um, he's actually an Italian um, opera composer. Um, he's known for, you know, a lot of different um, operas such as La Boheme, Tosca, uh, Madama Butterfly, uh, Turn a Dot. Um, and I just really love his music. Um, and specifically, I came to, to him through, um, through, I guess, his performers. So Maria Callas, I don't know if you guys have heard of her, um, amazing um, opera singer. Um, yep. and, uh, also Luciano P- Pavarotti, um, and they are, you know, so Pavarotti is actually very, um, he, he's well known for doing Puccini, um, you know, La Boheme, Tosca, all those. Um, and I just, I just love the way he, uh, you know, creates space for these vocal performances to just be amazing. Uh, so that's, that's my number two pick. And, uh, we're going to go to, uh, you, Freddie. Cheers. Okay. My number two pick today is going to be Franz Joseph Haydn. And uh, particularly his uh, involvement with the string quartet. He's known as the father of the string quartet. And string quartet or chamber music in general, is probably my favorite type of quote-unquote class. I just want to verify something, and some people might know this, some people might not. Classical refers to a period. It's not necessarily a type of music, but for today's purposes, we're going to refer to it as an overall type of music. I guess we could have called it legit, whatever. you. I've heard it called both terms. But anyway, yeah. Uh, Franz Joseph Haydn, string quartets. Love them. Can't get enough. Nice. Adam, what do you got? Number two, number two. Now I'm, uh, yeah, this one's a little different than Grove for me. This one, uh, this one I actually found on my own. This is uh, our uh, modest uh, Mussorgsky, Russian composer. And he, he's a little more, uh, he's pretty well known, uh, and you'll know from his uh, work, uh, Pictures at an Exhibition, which uh, for me, where that, and where that holds in my, you know, and, and uh, for my temperament of, of classical is it's a very uh, triumphant piece. It feels it's a lot of, you know, just, it's one of those, you know, you, you, and you, it's one of those that you kind of know that you don't know. It's kind of, the pieces of, of this are everywhere in, in um, you know, and contemporary culture and it's just um this is the uh you know it's, uh, with this type of music i'm ne- i'm uh, i'm always like like aaron was saying i'm kind of like trying to fill a specific mood kind of a little bit you know and th- and this one's kind of my uh this is my you know kind of just uh not not cheer me up per se but just kind of that kind of just kind of perk me up a little bit it's the it's not really the stress relief like like grow up this is more of the like you know kind of get my it's kind of weird sounding like fist pumping to Mazorsky, but I kind of, I kind of do that. And, and actually, and there's a, you know, it just kind of, you're just like, how do you not, how do you not like get, get, maybe I should exercise to it, Brendan. I just, I just thought of that. There you go. It's right up. Yeah, there it is. It's weird though, that, 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 uh, modest Mazorsky, um, I, I, I wrote down that it feels like ballet to me. So I mean, maybe if that's, if, if you're working out and you're doing some, some pleats and stuff. <laughs> You know me, I, I'm very nimble and graceful. Those are the first two words that describe me, yeah. <laughs> but I just, I, I, I find it's one of those where I keep my, I keep bending my ear to it over and over for like the passages and now uh, no, Mazorsky is my number two. This uh, definitely triumphant, triumphant shit. Bending your ear, your knees. Uh, Brendan. <laughs> yeah, I can't help but think of the scene in The Big Lebowski with the landlord and his uh, his dance cycle. That was yes, part of yes. <laughs> it was very graceful. It was very graceful. Oh, incredible! Well, now you're seeing graceful. me do that in your head now, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. You, you planted that image. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So my number one, undoubtedly, this was an easy number one for me. We're going to stay 
with Mother Russia, and I'm going with Igor Stravinsky. To me, he's just the, he's the top of the top. He, I don't know, just something about his music, like The Rite of Spring, The Firebird, and his music, again, very um, popularly used with ballet and movement um, and in a very different sense. And we can talk about the whole Rite of Spring controversy, which was a thing and very interesting. Apparently there was rioting happening at the premiere and there's different accounts of why, but um, it was, it's a very interesting story. So the Rite of Spring to me is like just the ultimate composition. It's got everything, Stravinsky's use of textures, like pairing unlikely instruments together, harmonizing them was super cool. Um, just the sheer force and the muscular nature when, when you wanted the orchestra to get big, it just doesn't get much better for me. And then going from that to like some really tender melodies, all while sounding super modern and nobody sounds like Stravinsky in my opinion. He's the king. Wow. He's the king, huh? Anyway, uh, my number one pick today um, is a guy named William Grant Still. Um, and he's, uh, you know, I guess he's modern, I guess. He died in 78. <laughs> 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 and uh he's uh you know often referred to as the dean of afro-american composers um and his you know afro what was it i believe it's the afro-american symphony yep um, correct is uh is amazing and for me what what his music does for me is it just feels so black i just feel so black when i listen to it and i just walk around just just blacking it up and uh <laughs> And it's weird to say kind of, you know, listening to classical music or whatever, but I just, I just feel so blacky, black, black, and it's awesome. And, um, you know, this, and it, his story is just it's so, so amazing. Um, you know, you know, being involved in like the Harlem Renaissance and, um, you know, he was also involved in the, the, um, the Paul Whiteman orchestra, I believe. Wow. Um, and uh you know it's 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 really incredible his whole story and like and how he went he went through to the classical route instead of moving more along the lines of you know the duke ellingtons and the you know fletcher henderson hendersons and all those so that's my that's my number one guy william grant still right on and uh freddie what do you got yeah man so uh my final pick is a german composer uh named kurt Weil. Um, not to be confused with Kurt Weil, Kurt Weil, oh, I guess I'm trying legend. to. <laughs> yeah, that seems like, uh, the modern day Kurt Weil must have been an Ellis Island thing, right? Yeah, probably. Let's see <laughs> what his original, he actually, oh, you mean the, the Philadelphia yeah. singer songwriter? Yeah, very I, bet, possible. I bet his family's roots go back to that. Yeah. Very possible. Said. On at the top of his Wikipedia article, not to be confused with Kurt Vile. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm talking about Kurt Julian Weil, best known as the composer of Mac the Knife, Three Penny Opera. But he also wrote um, a song that the Doors covered. How's that? Bobby Darren to the Doors, uh, Alabama song. Show me the way to the next whiskey bar. Oh, wow. unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote that. Mm -hmm. Wow. That crazy. Crazy. Ugh. But anyway, he also uh, composed some symphonies. And that that is the music that I um, added to the playlist of his. And uh, he eventually became uh, an American citizen as well. Uh, you know, once he fled Nazi Germany, I think he went to Paris orig originally and then ultimately wound up in New York City. And wow. that's my final pick. Well, good pick. Hey, man, you're in cleanup, Adam. 
Yeah, well, you, it's set up for a reason because I kind of went with the obvious here, but you can't you can't deny what can't be denied. So sure, uh, you old, sure old Ludwig. Oh my God, I like <laughs> William Grant still. He's awesome. I, I really enjoyed that this week. But uh, I mean, Ludwig Van is 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 the uh, he's he's the guy. He's the guy, and and really, and the one I picked for the playlist. Funnily enough, uh, uh, I didn't have this one for my grandfather's collection. I had uh, number five, the Eroica Symphony, which I enjoyed quite a bit as well. But I picked up the Pastoral Symphony. If you get a theme, I like pastoral stuff. I like, I don't like a lot of art. I like pastoral art, and I like pastoral. Uh, your Honesdale, your Honesdale, showing through. I like pastures. They're they're, they're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, cool I mean music. <laughs> but i mean beethoven and, and and to say to what i like about beethoven and being like oh yeah everyone knows him i like him more is uh his great use of dynamics his great use of hooks he's maybe you know he's one of the hookiest guys from that i mean you go i mean if you release i mean you know you got ninth symphony you know the dun- i mean he's it, just he's got hooks for days baby he's hooks he's yeah he's Even the old he's hear him he was Rick Ocasek before Rick Ocasek. You know what I mean? Don't bore us. Get to the chorus. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, uh, Tom Petty. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I, I just, uh, and, and then, you know, you got the, the, the clockwork orange where the, the, the little Ludwig van, you know, stuff like that. He's, you know, he, he's, he's in everywhere. I mean, he wrote his last symphony when he was completely deaf. That's just wild. You know what I mean? And, but I mean, I still put it on and the dynamics of his movements, like, you know, like while Mazorsky bends my ear from the triumphant, like, Beethoven just jabs you when you're not looking, you know, he just has those great dynamics, love them. And, 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 you know, you can't ever, he has got so much, you never, you never, you never get around to all of it. So there's always something kind of new for you if you're looking for it. So yeah. Uh, Beethoven, number one. All right. Great picks guys. Uh, we're going to take a short break and be back in a second uh, with our discussion. Hold on. And we are back. Hey, Freddie, man. Um, during the uh, earlier part, you talked about, you know, classical music as what we think classical music is, is not actually a title. Um, it was actually a period. Is that is that a, a period of time? Is that correct? Correct. Uh... Like, what does that mean? So, like, what, what would we call, um, you know, Philip Glass? Is he not a classical uh, um, composer or musician? Postmodernism? Postminimalism? So when we you, talk about when we talk about Philip Glass or even um, maybe Claude Debussy, Debussy, Debussy yeah, Debussy, um, should we should we just call them something different? Uh, you know it's interesting because I'm actually looking at this chart. It said periods, eras, and movements of Western classical music, and all of these eras are subgrouped under that. But let's see. Uh, Classical era was actually 1750 to 1820, and it 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 falls between the Baroque and Romantic period. So, if anybody wants to look this up, you know, for clarification, it's all there. But I guess when people refer to serious music or music you would go see in a concert hall like uh, at the Kimmel Center or the Academy of Music, you know, with an orchestra, they would refer to it as classical music. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. Go ahead, Brennan. Yeah, I, this has been, I don't know, I i think I have a problem with this label because you're you're minimizing, you're reducing hundreds and hundreds of years of music to one label. I mean, right. even if you look at the 20th century, we have so many subgenres within 50 years of time. You know what I mean? So I think it's really unfair to call it this, but part of the problem is there's such a lack of a better term because like right. if you get outside of classical, well, okay, let's call it art music. Well, isn't all music art? 
uh, yeah. let's call it concert music. That's, well, it's not true. All music is not. Art. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you call it concert music, well, don't you go to concerts to Wait. hear all kinds of music? I, I got to interrupt you one. And, and then, Brandon, you, you actually had a great um, example of a, a piece of music that is not art on one of our previous pods uh, with the Doctor Who. Uh, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was not art. Not so, at so all. I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, no, you're totally right. And I think the, the, the writers of that song would agree with you. Yeah. Um, so w- one of the things that, that Freddie said um, just a second ago that kind of just made me think is uh, he talked about this classical music as serious music. Um, is that wh- why, why, why is this quote unquote serious music? And why is it funny? Why is it not funny music? Long hair music. I've heard that too. Funny wow. how? Have you guys ever heard like that? That, no. that term? I've never heard that term. No. Yeah. Yeah, but why? Well, why? Well, I guess in general, like you know, I and I would consider it serious music too, because you know, I you you dress up and you go and you sit, and you don't you don't clap like woo. That was a bad solo. <laughs> but people used to. The thing is, and so this is again part of my issue. Back in the day, when people went to concerts, they would. They would cheer on, and they would be more interactive than we are today. And at some point along the line, things got terribly serious, which I think is so unfair to the orchestra experience. And right. like it, it's. I think it prohibits a lot of people from experiencing this music, too, because they are afraid of the stigma. And it's just, it's not, it's not cool. Like, I think we should be able to be more interactive. And also this music can be light and it can be funny. I mean, there's a whole genre of comedy and opera, you know, it's right. just, um, right. it's unfair. And oh. also there's an element of improvisation on some of the uh, figure bass uh, type of compositions, right? You are encouraged to improvise. Totally. I mean, you know, yeah. we're the elephant in the room that we should definitely get to is nobody named Bach. But he was one of the greatest improvisers possibly ever. Yeah, yeah. And True. the touchstone for a lot of music. I mean, he was like the. I mean, he he set a lot of things up. He he, he kind of was a. Well, speaking of Bach, well, well, why didn't anybody pick him? We can only pick three. And there's but, no Mozart. Yeah, no Mozart he... either. You know. Yeah, right. yep. Yeah, that was the other one that I I I saw and I was like, wait a second, guys. I mean, we're talking about classical. We're talking about serious music. Why is uh, Bach or um, or uh, the other dude not there? What's up? What's up, Fred? For the same reason, I have to make a disclaimer that <laughs> nobody picked Peter Frampton comes alive for our live album. <laughs> Throwing it back. <laughs> That's been bugging me for weeks now. <laughs> hey, you can't win them all. Man, you can't please everyone. This room. That's right. <laughs> uh. So basically, oh. the point, Freddie, that you're making is that they're all terrible. So that's why we don't pick them. <laughs> and so, so Brendan, um, I want to talk to you about, um, you know, uh, your Stravinsky uh, pick, uh, composer. You know, when I was listening to him on the our Spotify playlist, um, what I took from him is that this dude is like really hardcore. Mm-hmm. Like I just like the feeling I took from his music is like I. I don't want to talk to you, man. Like, it is too hardcore, man. Like, so th- does he come off that way to you, or am I just like, how do, how does he come off to you? But his music, you know. Yeah, I th- I think that's a really interesting takeaway, and my takeaway is probably not too different from that. I I imagine him to have been a larger than life personality, and the accounts that I've read is not too far off from that. He seemed like he was very much non apologetic about anything he did. He was so fiercely devoted to his music and uncompromising in that, but also a very seemingly a very lovely man uh, when you are on his good side, I think. Like there are stories of him. He actually, uh, towards the later part of his career, he, he got into jazz a little bit, or at least was um, interested in jazz. And he wrote a concerto for Woody Herman and like a big band thing. It's called the mm. Ebony Concerto. And it's really, it's an interesting piece because that's like, kind of third stream before we really knew what to call it um and there are accounts of him in the studio with those musicians like being very very generous and and uh and and, and kind to them hmm. that's really that's interesting possibly because he maybe felt a little more out of his element you know what i mean could be 
possibly. Um, so another thing that I noticed um, from our Spotify playlist is that there seems to be, and maybe this is the 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 difference between the maybe classical label and maybe the romantic label or something like that, where you know you have composers such as um, Haydn or um, you know Beethoven. Uh, when I listen to them, they seem very, very straight laced. Um, it didn't. See, it's, it's, there's not a lot of, you know, emotional, um, you know, just explosion there. It's like, it's like I don't want to say color by numbers, but it's like color. It feels color by numbers as opposed to uh, uh, boost I always say his name wrong. The debut guy. Um, <laughs> It seems like he's just like coloring outside the box. It's like, it's like if you go, if you look at a painting, for instance, uh, Debussy is like, you know, Picasso, and you know, those other guys are like just painting some apples, and they look just like apples. Is that a fair to see the apples? That's a very good analogy because he is considered the first impressionistic composer, and you know, Picasso was a quote-unquote impression. I mean, they're roughly the same period, I guess. Maybe Debussy predates Picasso a little bit. I don't know. But um, that that absolutely makes sense. As, a, as an aside, this is something I've always wanted to do, but never sort of prepped enough beforehand. But going to, like, the Philadelphia Museum of Art or going to the Barnes or something, I've always wanted to, like, prepare a playlist to coincide with the paintings and like listen to the music of the time while looking at the paintings of the time. Hmm. Yeah, I've always wanted to do that. Pictures at an exhibition. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's ah. literally the the merging of those two worlds. Yeah. What, what do you say? Pictures at a, what? What is that, Adam? That's the Mazorsky piece, and he did it off oh, of oh, based oh. off of paintings. That was the th- thing that basically ah. Brendan's talking about is how that came about. Right. But I think what I think what we're seeing, what you're seeing with the whole classical thing, with the earlier the Haydn's and the Beethovens and even Bach and Mozart, and they kind of like, you know, they they kind of set the you know they kind of set the table for these other guys to kind of kind of dance around it a little more. And I also think maybe um, the earliest music was more was it like more of an aristocratic thing? I mean, a little more straight laced, and and then it kind of came more to the people. I think, and I mean, we see this whole like symphonic concerto form just kind of fall by the wayside through the years and now we just have like one four five progressions and 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 everything and like anytime i play any music for my grandmother she's always just like it's just the same thing over and over where are the movements you know why isn't there more movements you know back then it was theme and variations and now it's just your verse chorus bridge brendan well it's interesting because talking to like kind of reflecting on what aaron said those guys like the the big and what defines like classical period, specifically in time, they kind of wrote the rules. And that's why I think the music sounds so, I guess, square. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Aaron, but maybe that's kind of what you're getting that's what at. I'm saying. And so like everything after that, like romantic and onward, those rules started to get broken in ways. And I think for me personally, in my taste, that's where I find things to get really interesting with the exception of Palestrina, which just sounds like, heaven music and perfect music to me but like there there were there were rules and that those rules of like 18th century harmony is what we base music theory on today and that's what is taught for better and for worse and there's a lot of controversy about like should we be teaching that should we be teaching other traditions and other cultures theory as well because that ain't all there is for sure but i think um i think that's that's part of why that music sounds like very apple like and also i i just had a thought that back in the apple days um (laughs) (laughs) people were not traveling as widely and were not exposed to music from different cultures as much and i think Mm. that's got to play into it a little bit totally i mean like one of the seminal works is dvorak's new world symphony and that directly reflects his travel and taking in jazz. And so right. that's part of what's so interesting to me, jumping ahead a little bit with, but with like 20th century music of the, the way that 
concert composers or whatever you want to call them uh, respond to the events happening at the time and also the music happening at the time because, you know, the 20th century, that's when music really got so diverse, uh, at least in this country. And that's where all these merging of worlds gets really cool for me. And I, I, I really enjoy that. Right on. And also, um, there wasn't exactly a lot of recorded music back then. So you're relying on just, uh, you know, the, I, think, I think recorded music also kind of in, uh, increased the, the splay uh, stylistically a, a little bit more. And which, like, what, 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 like with that William Grant still, the, uh, that was the first time this week I listened to the Afro-American Symphony, and I was so taken by it. And it's why I love how I love to call the contemporary era of this type of music, the 1900s, where you, I heard a little Appalachia in there. I heard a little bit of jazz in there. I mean, it was just like, he was just, I mean, he was just taking everything, you know, he threw every ingredient in, in, from the spice rack in there, and I loved it. I just absolutely loved yeah. it. Aaron, tell us more about him. Um, well, I mean, I I don't know too much about him. I just kind of know his his music for the for 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 the most part. But I know he was part of the you know the Harlem Renaissance, right? Um, and kind of was was hanging out with Langston Hughes and um all those folks back then. And um, like I mentioned a little earlier, he did he wasn't the um, involved in the uh, with the Paul Whiteman Orchestra. Um, and I thought that was really really interesting. Um, that he was involved with with that. I mean, he um. He worked for W.C. Handy's band, which oh, wow. I thought was pretty amazing as well. So cool. It's like he's just at a kind of a crossroads, especially for what I what I think is, you know, black artists back in the day where, you know, there's this music that's coming up that is just like freeing. And, you know, there's um, a lot of artistic freedom and possibility when it comes to jazz. Uh, maybe not so 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 soon there, but. Um, there's still like a lot of artistic kind of freedom in that. And then he kind of went the other way um, into the classical world where, um, you know, there's a lot of doors that are closed to you. There's a lot of um, opportunity. And if you think as an artist, he's probably, ha he's probably still has to think about, all right, how can I make this music appeal to a white audience? Um, how can I, Maybe he wanted to make it really black. I don't know, um, but but instead he 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 made it. He did the Motown thing and didn't make it too black. Um, Put a tuxedo on it. Yeah, exactly. Or that was uh, in Philly. That's what sound of Philly had been described as. Right, but, but with what, those what, with the strings, right? With the strings. Yeah. So what, was this in the thirties, twenties, thirties? What do you know? What time period this was? Yeah, I mean, so he he's he was born in eighteen ninety five and died in seventy eight. So, um, like he he was hitting his stride right when the Harlem Renaissance was, um, you know, doing its thing. I mean, he, um, you know, was in W. C. Handy's band in nineteen eighteen, and um, he was gotcha. also in Fletcher Henderson's dance orchestra in nineteen twenty one, and um, and he, you know, the his the Africa Afro American Symphony was uh, performed in nineteen thirty one in the rochester uh Philharmon philharmonic um so he was kind of right there in that in that realm so i i really love this guy this is that's that's my dude um uh what, what's up Brendan? yeah no i i think african-american afro-american symphony is such an important work on so many levels because like in as far as american art music goes like a lot of people have referred to jazz as black classical music i've heard that term before and yep. I think in the orchestra world, it is one that, in my experience anyway, can be very closed off, can be very much like we want to hear music from old dead white guys that lived a couple hundred years ago. And there's been so much music that's been written since then. And that that work is a great example of like, here's the merging of worlds, here's the merging of cultures, here's different forms of music who that are all legitimate and all uh, have great things to say and communicate. And so, yeah, I think that was a great pick. I'm glad that really rounds out our list. So I'm, I'm glad you put it on there, Aaron. And, and speaking yeah, of um, modern music, um, we, have other, we have other people, you know, in the modern area, era, um, the last century, basically, with Philip Glass and also, um, you know, Adam's pick, Verde Grove. Is that how you say his name? Close right. enough. I mean, I, I want to see Freed Grove. I, I I don't know how the little um accent on the e gro gruffy I I I don't know gruffy 
<laughs> anyway, um, you just butcher them and let them fly. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, they they all kind of took different approaches. At least these three these three composers, I think. Um, there's there's some similarity similarities with the, with Ferday and and William Grant Still um, in the fact that um, they kind of took that you know pastoral landscapey kind of feel um, and then just put it through their own lens. Um, and then Philip Glass, he's he's just like oh um, it, he was just on his own thing. Um, and the really the the contrast between Philip Glass and and Ferday, I thought was like like night and day. But you know they're both kind of modern composers. Uh, you know, tell tell us a little bit more about um, you know Brendan. Tell me tell me a little more about Philip Glass. Yeah, so he was very much influenced by Indian music, which is not a thread that that is I think overtly heard in his music. But that idea of like long form thing where it's repetitive and it unfolds slowly over time is a concept that he incorporated a lot into his music and also he is interesting to note because he performed and continues to perform he's still around uh, a lot of his own music like he had his own band (laughs) of musicians and they perform live and they're performing his own works which i think is super cool but also he writes for orchestra. He writes for all different types of ensembles, but it always you always know it's him. There's nobody that sounds like him. And if you try to rip him off, I th- I think you can tell. Hmm. Um, and that, now this is where 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 I have to interject my my own opinion about Philip Glass. I I hate him. Yeah, I hate his music. <laughs> it's the worst. Um, which also kind of <laughs> leads me to <laughs> leads me to to your pick, Adam Fur Furday. Freddie Grofe, um, he I loved it when I first listened to his music. I absolutely loved it, and then I listened to it more and more because I loved it so much, and it it left me feeling like the burden to be a little bit. Oh, we're turned. We're, we're uh, the you, you bent your ear to it. I'm going to keep using that phrase to death today. <laughs> but uh, and and it's funny. Um, I got a two couple quick things. Uh, Brendan. I don't know why. For some reason, I always p- mix up Philip Glass and John Cage, and they couldn't be two completely different. That oh, makes wow. no sense to me. I, I mean, I, maybe it's just like Stephen Reich, too. Yeah, yeah, they get confused a lot in the, the minimal, minimal world. Minimalist, minimalism. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's like right. you know Philip Glass, like name object. John Cage, name object. I, I don't know. But uh, no, the funny thing you were talking about Paul Whiteman earlier, uh, Aaron, and uh, and growth. <laughs> was uh, uh, Paul Whiteman's arranger from 1920 to 1932. Yeah, so, I saw that. I saw that. And he arranged Rhapsody in Blue for Gershwin. I did see that. I was like, that's pretty cool. That's yeah. very cool. Um, and, and when I was listening to Grofi, uh, yeah, he just left me feeling like it was like a 1940 film I was watching. And, um, you know, and, and actually looking looking into, like, kind of, I got so much into him. I, I looked him up a little bit and, um, that was actually one of the criticisms, I guess, of his at the time was that he just threw too much instrumentation um, and just sweetness in there. Um, but I can but, hear that in like the 1940s kind of movie kind of thing. That's what I like about it. Yeah, that's what I like about it is the sure. Yeah, just how it paints the room. You know, it paints the paints the scene. But but I got a, I got a quick question for for you guys um, before we get off this is, do you, do, Freddie and Adam, do you guys like Philip Glass? I mean, uh, I haven't listened to him in a long time, but listening to this uh, um, playlist, you know, it's look. It's not like listening to a three-minute pop song. That's for sure. <laughs> it takes an open mind, I guess, to to enjoy some of the uh, long-form, evolving uh, pieces. I think that I can't was make the it. Intention. Adam, that's sorry. a nice way to say oh, no. no. <laughs> I, I well, all, all, all I will say, all I will say on my end is that if you look at this playlist uh, for our our listeners, it's eleven and a half hours long. So, needless to say, I didn't get too much more than a first pass at anything, and I I didn't I I so I can't see. I, I never make an assessment on the first pass, but it's going to need another pass. Brandon, what, what, what do you have to say, Brandon? So not specifically about glass, but yeah, okay. I, uh, in terms of, well, a little bit about glass and in terms of 20th century composers, do you guys know about the composer Nadia Boulanger? Don't. I know 
her more as a piano teacher, right? Yeah. So she is like, there's the phrase behind every great man, there's an even better woman or something like that. So this is like the best example of that. Nadia Boulanger was a composer herself and a teacher, and she had what I considered to be the most diverse range of students ever. And they all were became great composers in the 20th century. So Philip Glass was one of them, but she also taught uh, Leonard Bernstein. She also taught Quincy Jones. Uh, oh, so wow. those two right there, uh, the story goes that apparently George Gershwin went to her to study and she turned him down because she felt his style was already too developed and she would not have been able to work with that. But yeah, look her up. I mean, it's a, an amazing story of these like giants of 20th century music who got their start learning from her. Wow. Wow. That's pretty incredible. Um, and kind of following off of that, that, that sentiment, Brennan, um, what we didn't kind of talk about was those composer, composers like Quincy Jones or like, you know, um, Leonard Bernstein or Stein, um, George Gershwin, or um, what's that, John Williams. Um, Your boy. You know, my, my guy. Um, now that's some sweet I love. <laughs> um, it is sugary. Um, so what about those kind of composers? Are they, I mean, how do they sit within the, within this, this mix of classical composers that we have here? Do you, um, how come no one picked any of them? Adam, what do you think, man? Oh, none of the, uh, cause everyone thinks classical. They think, they think old. And then, and what was their competition back in the day? Now, like John Williams has got to take on Led Zeppelin and, and, uh, you know, and Donna Summer and, like, I, I don't really know. I don't really know. Uh, I think, um, I'm saying, I think this, though, like, as we we're saying, that that whole genre, which I don't even know what to call it at this point, it's, it's, it, it's become so prim and proper. And, and, and it, like, and also a lot of us went to school for music in, in here. And it's like, it feels like work. It feels like, it feels like, you know, you, you know, you have to just like, you're going to school. Like, you're going, you know, you're not going to learn. Although in sixth grade, I did my, I had a semester in sixth grade we did exclusively on the Beatles, which was, you know, in cool. hindsight was rather amazing. But the rest of music, you know, quote unquote, music education is on these. And, you know, it's like I'm not I'm not doing like times tables in my spare time. And then it's like that it has this stigma to it. I think. Freddie. Um, before we went live, we were uh, Brendan was mentioning something about how a lot of the old school composers would communicate and rate each other. Can we get more into that? Yeah, yeah. Brandon, so I want to hear. I'm fascinated by this. There's this. There's this book that I have. It's uh, black and purple. It's pretty easy to spot and it's super thick. And it's um, Strunk's Source Readings and Music History. I had to look up the full title because I haven't admittedly having cracked it open in quite a while. But the whole book, it's a collection of essays by composers essentially to each other, letters to each other. And it's like the most highbrow insulting you can imagine. Just <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> like they just go for it because composers, they all think their stuff is the best. And so especially it gets really interesting when music starts to like diversify quite a bit from romantic onward because you started to have like very definitive camps and so there's even more widespread rejection of composers on each other so it's it's worth a read if you can get it at your local library perhaps and crack it open i'm just trying to place that in a modern context like michael jackson writing to prince or or celebrities hey man, like that guitar solo was not happening. <laughs> yeah, I think these days it's like celebrities with each other on Twitter. Like that's the best that's we got. I, oh my god! Yeah, like a Twitter battle. It's like a poop emoji. Oh, <laughs> oh man, I'm having a moment over here. And oh. how how was that night? A, there's got to be a site where they do fake like Twitter fights between like Haydn and you know. And, Bach or whoever you know yeah. you don't even have to like you don't even have to have the right periods you can just have those names twitter fighting each other or something it's unless you Let's read miles davis's bio there's not there's not uh, his auto bio there's not too much trashing going on in the modern eh, there's still some but not 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 a book like that 
and, and speaking speaking of Miles Davis, Adam, thank you. Um, so one of my picks was uh, Joaquin Rodrigo. Um, and so this 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 guy was a um, a, a jazz. I mean, not jazz composer. He was a classical composer, a guitarist, and uh, he was actually blind since three. I was like, wow, he's blind. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he wrote so he wrote the you know Concerto de Arenas um, for sketches of Spain. And um, I know when I, I well, sketches of Spain, Miles Davis album is one of my mm-hmm. favorite albums. And um, I believe it was him or someone close to him that heard Miles Davis's version and didn't like it or something like that. Um, do, are you guys familiar with the classical composition um, of those songs? No, I didn't no? know it. No, not no. at all. Wow. There you that's, go. That's a great so conversation you, piece. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> you stumped us. <laughs> uh, I mean, you dropped it this morning. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. You pull an audible, but uh... but still, today it was worthwhile just because of that. Yeah, no, I, 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 that was like such a such a blind spot for me. I need to go back and listen to it. But it does stress how how we strive to be musically omnivorous in our in our quests here. Yeah, and, and actually, one of the things that I noticed actually about him and and why I, I so in my honorable mentions I had Gabriel Poiré in there uh at my number three spot but i was like you know what i just need some more guitar in my life and um his and um rodrigo's pieces you know are they have a lot of guitar they are guitar based pieces a lot of them and um and also different um different feel to it with the whole spanish component and i thought that was a really um I don't know, important kind of thing to bring up and in the context of all the other music that was um that was on our list as, as instead of Gabriel um who was kind of in the same lines as Debussy but worse um same thing as like I, I considered Ravel but I was like that's not it's like Debussy Debu, hi, Debussy that's right Debussy 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 Debussy, Debussy. 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 uh Ravel I was like ah that's just like Debussy, but worse. It's like all these people were like, I'm like, I'd like, I'd love to put them on here. Even like a little Eric Satie, but it's still it's like Debussy, but but much worse. Debussy. I thought uh, about actually pick uh picking Satie as one of my uh, composers. Yeah, I really like him, but I'm like, uh, I'd rather listen to Debussy. <laughs> I like the um my uh, my grandfather um was a uh, um uh, German descent, not like an immigrant, but you know. Yeah, very proud of his Germanness, um, and so there was always a lot of Sibelius and Wagner in there that I have, and I and I enjoy them. They don't make my top three, but I I, I did, I did enjoy those. And you know, there I guess if I had honorable mentions, it'd be the, uh, you know, regardless of the uh, sentiments of, um, of, of Wagner, he still has, yeah, yeah, he's a little problematic. Yeah. yeah, there's 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 you, there's some red flags there. Yeah, you can't yeah, help but mention his name and then automatically your mind goes to that so yeah whatever whatever yeah that's that's it's been enough time it's a whole other podcast (laughs) (laughs) yeah truly (laughs) um and then another pick of of mine that i wanted to bring up is puccini uh, with opera um and that was i believe the only opera composer um is that is that classical music guys or is is or is he like a soundtrack composer like john williams what do you think right now Oh my God. Uh, Puccini's undeniable. I will say that I get down with some opera, but his operas are not my first choice per se, but the tunes are undeniable. I mean, like you want to talk about some hooks and some, some uh, uh, greatest hits in the opera world. He's he's your guy. Um, The Italian John Williams. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I'm just curious, Aaron, like how, how do you connect with opera, particularly like, um, when it's in another language, like that's always been interesting for me to like, I actually, I personally, I don't mind that because like it makes you focus on the melody a little bit more, but I'm just curious how you experience opera. Uh, why well, I love it. Um, and it's, it starts with me with the voice. And so I got to op- opera through Maria Callas, um, you know, and really I just go everywhere in opera through Maria Callas, <laughs> um, and uh, you know Pavarotti's awesome. Um, um, what's the uh, uh, battle? Uh, what's her name? The woman battle. Her name's last name's battle. I forgot her first name. Um, but it, I just go through um, the voice, 
and you know and then it's a matter of like well i love this piece that i'm that i'm hearing you know where is it from who who wrote it are there any more like this is there any more of this quality and so i have no idea what i've never seen any of these operas i've never i I mean maybe i don't i can't think of an opera i've actually seen ever um i have no idea what they're saying i have no idea what any of it means but when i listened to uh was it vizzy diarte um and maria Callas doing that i'm just like this is heaven yeah adam what do you got in uh in college when i was at bloomsburg i uh we did uh i was i was uh for a year was part of the house sound for the uh for the main hall there and uh one we did a production uh we worked a production of aida and that was i mean it's one of my my late grandmother's favorite as well but it was uh just the power of the voice because there's no they're not singing in mics they're you know they they use the room and and i thought always thought that was like a very you know that that takes a certain as you know especially as a you know the uh, as a trained of a vocalist you are the amount of uh the amount of like discipline that is needed to you know carry an entire room yeah and they hit all the notes (laughs) it's like i mean they they're only if they're sliding they know they're sliding and if they're sliding they're probably hitting like 15 notes in between um and it's just like the power and control is just uh mind-blowing and actually that's that's one of the things specifically about maria callis is that you know a lot of people loved her a lot of people didn't because she kind of put a little extra sass in there um and i i mean i just loved her and that's how i came puccini um yeah p.s kathleen battle is kathleen the, battle yeah, right yeah, yeah yeah right she's she's black right yes yeah it's like all black people should know that um that's my bad my my, my bad black people um, <laughs> it's dark um here. and so, so there's one other guy i want to bring up before you know or we, we we have to you know leave soon but gustav holst he wasn't on anybody's list um does that is that a thing or because i particularly love uh the planets and specifically jupiter and venus um but i was going to think thinking about him for the list and i just couldn't find anything else i liked um is that were you guys considering him or don't know much of him yeah i just know the planets planets. right you know the planets right everyone knows the planets but yeah i'm same boat aaron it's like everyone knows that it's a great piece but I, I, he didn't make the list because I don't know the the other catalog. Ah, I see. I see. Right. Also, kind of you get to the, there is a lot of uh, you know, you, you start unpacking this stuff, and you thought like that you kind of had what you liked set up from this, you know, genre or multiple conglomerate of genres, whatever you want to call this. And it's like my my biggest takeaway from the week is that I I still have more to unpack from this, and I I, I shouldn't have a you know, I shouldn't have swept it aside so easily. Sure. Brandon, what do you got, man? Well, I think what bringing up the planets reminds me of an issue that I wanted to share with you guys and tell me if you experience this too. In addition to not being able to properly name what we're talking about in terms of classical not being fitting, the other issue is with recording this music, how about cataloging it? Like I have struggled so much with my records and like how to how to actually like organize them because in this world, it could be the recording could be classified under the composer. It could be classified under the conductor. It could be classified under yep. the ensemble or the soloist. It makes yep. it virtually impossible to like actually organize these recordings. And I feel like, I don't know if that is a part of the general public's uh, avoidance of this music, because it's like, it's hard to know like what you're actually listening to and who you're listening right. to and all that. But interesting. I right. would probably, if I had an extensive classical vinyl collection i would probably go by composer and that's what i do but it makes the records hard to find because they're not always labeled as such right 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 Mm. i kind of cheated on that front and that i have my my ikea four by four that i alphabetize but but i do have a little storage under my record player itself and i say probably like 70 80 classical so to speak and i just keep them all under there and i don't even i don't i don't even put them in the mix i'm like if i'm in the because it's like i'm i'm never in between i'm like let's see am i going to do the beatles willie nelson or stravinsky uh which which i'm (laughs) and i like if i'm in if i'm in the mood for classical i'm going to under the record player right 
right. There you go. Right, right. It, 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 uh, just. Two other things. Uh, Mozart. Nobody t- Nobody picked Mozart. Well, you know, when we do rock and roll, nobody picked Bill Haley in the comments either. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's I guess so- Mozart sucks, guys. You heard it here first. Hot, <laughs> hot take. Yeah, I never didn't make the cut. I re- didn't make the cut. I really Mozart, Peter Frampton, not in the rock and roll hall. Bill thing, Haley in the way. comments. <laughs> Bill Haley. Just, just put Mozart right next to Bill Haley. We're root. <laughs> uh, and then the final thing is soloist. Uh, there's, do the soloists matter, or do they make a com- classical composer, or do they, is it is that part of why you like a composer, or is it do they break a composer, or is it anything? It's it's a it's a really important thing, and I and for me, what I've what I've heard is the soloist is a critical part of the compositional process. So, like composers that know who they're writing for the piece is going to be so much better because they can write to the strengths of that player. And so like when you have a, a, it's called a commission when you're, when a organization or back in the day, it would be like a a rich person says, I'm going to give you a pile of money, write a piece of music. If you know who you're writing for, you can then exploit the best of whoever you are writing for. And it just improves everything. It makes that soloist sound the best they can. It makes your music sound the best it can be. Right. Yeah, and then think of it like, and I I bring that up thinking about Puccini, where if I'm singing Puccini, Puccini is not going to be famous. Nobody's going to know who he is. Uh, <laughs> but the fact that he has amazing people singing his music is like, oh, okay, cool. And, and there, no, I'm with you. No, it, it takes it back to the Brendan's thing. There's the density of, like, I started thinking of what classical stuff I have, and I'm like, you know, it's like, do I have a favorite conductor? I'm like, I'm not exactly sure if I have, or do I have like, does it have to be the Philly Orchestra or the, the London Orchestra? I mean, there's just, there's too many. I mean, with, with jazz, it's one thing where it's like the players are important, but there's like like four of them. And 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 with, with classical, the, the density of like the conductor, the soloist, the orchestra, the, you know, the original composer. And, and it, it's just, it's a lot, it's, it, it, you know, it's a, you know, even saying all of us doing our research for this, it, it, it there's, there's so much to unpack. You, you, it doesn't feel like you'll ever kind of quite find the uh, the end. Sure, and and even like sure. orchestras are known for having a certain sound. Like the Philadelphia Orchestra is known for the Philadelphia sound, which originates with Stokowski. Like he was the one who right. like made the Philadelphia sound like more bombastic and more like kind of like hard driven, and that's what the Philadelphia Orchestra sound is known for. Hmm. Didn't even know that. Yeah, I could go on. Leonard Bernstein had a had a preferred tuning. He, I think he wanted the orchestra to tune to like 442 or 444. He thought it, it made them sound edgier. There's like Ooh. so much nuance in this world. Get that. Jeez. Makes sense. That's what you come here for, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> As opposed to 432, right? Right. Oh, man, yeah. that could be a whole episode. <laughs> and I, 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 didn't, I didn't mention this. Uh, or I didn't bring this up earlier um, just because I didn't really know how. Um, Brennan, um, t- tell us a, just a tiny bit about your choral uh, uh, piece there, the number, oh. the number three pick. Yeah, um, I just couldn't. I didn't know how to bring it up because it's just like, it's like um, it. It reminds me of the Beethoven thing, but like more straighter and yeah. less instrumenty because it's choral stuff. It's like I'm going to like a church and you know. Yeah. I just I just woke up. Oh, it's over. Totally. And and like you guys know me and singing in church are not probably not two things that come to mind when you think of me. <laughs> Maybe. Well, I like my gracefulness, like my ballet gracefulness. Right. <laughs> but for some reason like if if like music that is uh from a theory perspective, a counterpoint perspective perfect, like some we were talking about earlier, mm. is an apple. Like Palestrina's music is the shiniest apple. It's like a golden apple to me and like that's what does it it's like so immaculate. a golden apple it's a golden apple man and like i've always really enjoyed the texture of choral music i love the interplay of voices like that and to me it's like this is the the shining example i sang in my church choir through uh through uh through high school through 18 and it really i mean I, it really took me back you know the satb voicings and everything and 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 i was walking my dog this morning was like getting chills it's got such a there's such like a yeah, there's this really spiritual 
quality to it. I'm saying I'm more of a uh, secular human these days, but like it really, it really tapped a, a vein of nostalgia. I forgot. I kind of, uh, you know, a play a well, I don't really uh, tap very often. Nice. And on, on, on that note, I think guys, we're going to end it there. And um, so for all you guys out there listening, please rate review and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite listening app. This is the list a right fiction podcast and uh, if you have any golden apples of your own please let us know on twitter or on uh in our webpage the right fiction.com what was that adam no no i mean you you really i don't know if you had that pre-prepared you 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 pulled a freaking gem out of there with the, the apple thing i mean that's yeah. like a great metaphor man <laughs> you gotta you gotta like make a shirt out of that shit or something that's what that's what you come <laughs> here for guys the golden apple Woo! and on that note we're out <laughs> Have a good one. Take care.